I'm a funny creature, as we've talked about before. If my <laughs> eyes had worked, I would have gone army. Yeah, of because course. Because it gives me a very conventional pigeonhole. Mm. And that's half your grown-up life, and then you go to your life after that. But you've always got that pigeonhole for credibility. Mm. So without ever articulating it until the last couple of years, I've always understood the power of the credibility thing that buys you peace in the world. Yeah, I think the first time I ever read it and understood it was a Polish poet who won the Nobel Prize called Czesław Milos, who wrote a wonderful line that I you know, can't get exactly right in a book called The Captive Mind, where he said you need to play it playing the game so you don't have to play at all. The ultimate hidden truth of the world is that it is something that we make and could just as easily make differently. David Graeber, 1961-2020. to Welcome to Blind Insights. For joining me, David Olney. Thank you for booking the studio and us being back in the studio with pink coffee. I know it's, it's all wild. so good. <laughs> it does, you know, feel bad, and I think I owe, I, well, maybe not an owe, owe an explanation to the listeners. It's not. I'm, I'm almost sure that they're not. They're not even that bothered. But the reason that I've not, well, we've not been releasing as many episodes. I've not been editing them, and we've certainly not come into re-recording is. Um, I've been really struggling with the whole idea of continuing this career path and it's sort of paralyzed me, immobilized me even to the point that I, I think my kind of career circumstances have plunged me into um, a kind of minor depression. So I guess that's the, the kind of context of why we've not been heard from in a little while. Equally, it's been really nice to come back to it because at the end of the day, it is a, it is a passion for me. And I think, you know, maybe that's what it has to be. The, the harsh reality is that I've put and a lot of thought and a lot of time into this kind of path. And I, I feel as if I've always known what I've wanted to do. And that's been something that I've always had a little bit of pride about. M- most of my peers, you know, b- people my age have jumped around with a few different career paths or not really known what they've wanted to do and, and until, you know, five, ten years after school and even now not not necessarily know what they want to do. And, like, that's obviously it's no mark against them. That's It's pretty... Just a different path. It's very normal, if anything, yeah. So, But it's always been kind of nice for me to be able to say I, I've always... I've been lucky to always sort of have... know what I want to do and to have that pulled out a little bit from underneath me just has been kind of shocking and I'm not sure that I've had unrealistic career goals you know I don't want to make heaps of money I don't need to necessarily be heaps famous I, I, I've just sort of wanted to do certain tasks I guess and and I think if I could rank my priorities the first thing would be not making the world objectively worse that's a good one. Yeah. We've always tried to stick to that rule. It is like the, the Blind Insights unwritten mantra. Yeah. Don't make it worse. I think that's my main motivation in media mm. overall. Um, and, you know, maybe that doesn't exist. I, I, like, it certainly doesn't seem to bother other people that I know, love, and respect that they work for companies I think are morally reprehensible. <laughs> I guess it comes down to, well, probably two things there is one... Uh, what kind of job do you want to do? Mm. And two, do you need it to feel ethically okay or can you just 
take the status from the job and make that enough. And I would say that, again, part of the reason we have such fun talking about working this stuff out is mm. because, again, we want both. Again, I'm doing a master's in strategic communications, not so I can go out and work for a snake oil marketing company. Yeah, I'm doing it because really good people with really good ideas need help to communicate them. And the fastest way for me to learn how to do that is, again, finishing the master's now and working for two marketing companies, helping nice people to make sure they earn money so they and their families are okay. It's the fastest way to practice it all in an ethically comfortable environment. Yeah. I mean, look, that's... I don't think I would ask more than that personally. Um, I mean, maybe I've cornered myself a little bit more in, in you know my business with Whimsy Productions, but what you've just described sounds like something that I'm, I feel like I've been aspiring to in some sense. Man, I think probably the, the only difference I can see is my recognition was changing direction when I did, mm. you know, at 49 because mm. of COVID mm. was... I knew I needed to work with people who already had a good reputation so I could learn fast and streamline with that good reputation. Whereas with Whimsy Production, mm. you know, you've really been out there going, I've got this to offer and I'm very good at it. Mm. But again, without being able to attach it to someone else where you can be trusted as the new young guy because you're attached to someone that was already trustworthy. So that's really the step, if any, Yes, you've been involved, you know, with Andy here at Ozcast, and you've done lots of other things, but they're all things that were kind of temporary or not enough to add up to a complete slipstream, as people understand pigeonholes. Mm. I mean, mixing metaphors here, but again, most people, you know, look at other people in the world through pigeonholes to make it simple, make it fast. Definitely. Who can I relate this person to, and do I trust the person I relate them to? Yeah. So my great advantage of working for Rich in Texas and with Steve Davis here in Adelaide, is these are two really credible, successful people. Mm. Where as much as I'm adding value as I learn more, I'm also learning lots by being around people who've already learnt so much and built a great reputation. And probably the one step you know, you haven't had so far, it seems to me, mm. is the more conventional job you know, before you go totally on your own. Yeah, and I, I think I've been arrogant... <laughs> To feel that I can circumvent that process. I don't think you've been arrogant. I think the world says to people in their 20s, everything's possible. And <laughs> if you just push, you'll get there. You know, we kind of back to my, you know, my, one of my first blog posts about why millennials have quarter-life crises. Mm. And it's largely because millennials' parents grew up in a world where actually if you push just a little bit and were quite independent about it and quite sociable, you were going to win. Mm. It was a very odd thing if you didn't win. Whereas now we're in a world where it's all just that little bit, in some cases a lot harder, where maybe you can win by pushing, but how long do you have to push for? Yeah. And how long do you have to hustle? And how long do you have to deal with you know, unreasonable levels of stress? And more importantly, when you look around at the people around you, and again, it's not a thing of calling anyone out, but when you look around at other people in their mid to late 20s, your friendship group, mm. in the main, anyone who's hustling, is it any easier than what you're going through or is it as hard or perhaps in some industries even harder? Mm. That's a real shift in my opinion from when you know I was in my mid-20s in the mid-1990s. Now, mid-1990s, 
wasn't perfect, but it was still a lot easier than now. There were just more opportunities because there was more money floating around and people had more time. And you combine money and time and a lot more things become possible. I think that any anyone that I know that I sort of look up to and has been successful in the kind of area that I want to be in, doing the kind of thing that I want to do, let's say aligning to the values which we've sort of outlined at the start of this episode have had a traditional like it's exactly as you point out they've had that traditional career trajectory and then decided it to used to be normal mm. and that's part of what somehow changed between the 90s and now mm. is in the 90s you got that job not because you were going to stay because that job was what i've started calling your credibility project yeah the thing that gives you an easily to define pigeonhole of you know, Tim does X and he's bloody good at it and he's nice to have around. It's an easy to define pigeonhole. Mm. And life is just easier if you have one. And part of the thing it was always really difficult for me to have being blind, even in academia, was that pigeonhole. Because mm. you don't fit the pigeonhole in so many ways, shapes and forms. Being blind is like, oh, well that automatically puts you in a different pigeonhole, which is really unhelpful. Yeah. So one of the things that, again, I went in very clear-sighted into the communication stuff with is I'm going to pigeonhole myself. I'm going to be Dave the conventional comms or marketing guy because if I'm not, how many people won't be able to understand what I am or that they can trust me? Yeah. But I, I understood that from watching it be the case in the 90s when most of my friends were getting the kind of jobs you know, that we've been talking about, those first jobs, being the blind guy going, uh, what are my options? Most of those past that had that conventional first job weren't available to me. That's why I ended up being a masseur and playing music because mm. they were the jobs where I could make my own niche. That was very enjoyable, but it was all very precarious. Now, even then with more money and time, it was still quite precarious. Whereas now with less money and, and time in the mix, there's even more pressure. Yeah, and I think I've <laughs> signed myself into like higher responsibility, high pressure life, you know, environment, being married, having a house, you know, thing, things like that, that that make it actually a lot more difficult to live precariously. Well, well, I'd say that's an interesting thing too because if you look, being married and having a house in your mid-20s, up until say the 70s, 80s in Australia, mm. that was normal. Oh, yeah. So in a sense, what... Perhaps is the rubber band getting pulled in two directions. Yeah. Is you've done two things that historically should both work. Yep. Being married in a house by your mid-twenties, pushing to do the thing you love because you're talented enough and you get along with people well. The problem is you haven't done them in an era where the two things still fit together. I can live with that. I don't... Like I, if, you'd done, if you'd tried to do what you're doing now in the 80s, yeah. the house, married and pushing, you'd probably be one of the junior guys at SAFM and be working with a good band on weekends as their sound guy and touring <laughs> on your time off. Because yeah. that's what the mid-80s would have looked like with your skill set, ability to get along with people, love of music, love of communicating. Mm. Now, put it into 2022, most 30-somethings are struggling to get into the housing market and most are desperately locking down into conventional jobs as the only way to save enough money or to guarantee they can pay the horrendous oh, mortgage yeah. they just got. Yeah, 100%. So I think, you know, from my perspective on the outside looking in to perhaps what you're struggling with, I think 
you know, give yourself credit of trying to do two things that until very recently made sense to try and do together. Because it's not that you did anything wrong. It's that the world changed and the majority of the world desperately don't want to see that things have got harder. People will grumble about it quietly in the background or they'll grumble at the moment about the price of everything going up. Mm. But in the main, people don't want to talk about the fact there's less time and less money. Yep. Because once there's less time and less money, everything becomes a bit more intense, a bit more stressful. Everything becomes a bit harder. I mean, it's it's getting it's getting hard for a lot of people. Yeah. At the moment, do, do you find David like? Would you have wanted to? Would you have wanted to be in the pigeonhole of the traditional kind of marketing and communications guy? I mean, you said you basically made that decision two years ago. Yeah, I'm a funny creature, as we've talked about before. If <laughs> my eyes had worked, I would have gone army. Yeah, of because course. Because it gives me a very conventional pigeonhole. And that's half your grown-up life, and then you go to your life after that. But you've always got that pigeonhole for credibility. Mm. So without ever articulating it until the last couple of years, I've always understood the power of the credibility thing that buys you peace in the world. Yeah, I think the first time I ever read it and understood it was a Polish poet who won the Nobel Prize called Czesław Milos, who wrote a wonderful line that I you know, can't get exactly right in a book called The Captive Mind, where he said you need to play it playing the game so you don't have to play at all. Oh, that's it. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that, that's the game. That makes me feel so much better about the idea of, like, mm, paying your dues. <laughs> yeah, you got to play it playing the game. Like, if, if you drink the Kool-Aid that life in the conventional corporate world or public service world mm. or media world is a full life... You're delusional. Yeah. And not because any of those things are inherently flawed, but because humans are inherently bigger and more multifaceted. Mm. None of us can get by unless there's serious sort of problems with just work in any area. It's not fulfilling enough. Mm. That's why people want a meaningful partnership with someone, why they want to build you know, a home I not necessarily the building, but that place called home. Why they want the group of friends around them. Why they want respect from colleagues. Why they want to have like the dream project that's a bit beyond their comfort level, but the thing they'd like to try later mm. once they've got the credibility to do something newer and braver. That's the full package of people. So if you're a fully formed human, like you are, <laughs> why wouldn't you try and balance all these pieces? Now, balancing them has never been easy, no. but it's got harder. And we can look at the mental health epidemic uh -huh. you know, and say, I think more than anything, the single biggest cause is the precariousness of trying to get enough of all the things people need mm. in their lives. Most and, people can get a couple of the pieces, but not more anymore. And And that disconnect, that... The, those unmet expectations, I suppose, I think was the, the yeah. line from your article. Yeah. I sometimes struggle with the idea of being in a workplace that I feel does not align with my values. And my values are rather unrealistic, in, I think, in a corporate world. I would say that there's plenty of companies out there or organisations, let's just say organisations, mm. who have good values 
Yeah. But you've got to find them. So, again, I stuck out the University of Adelaide for the sake of students. Mm. As a whole, the place aspires to great values and its values are basically shit. <laughs> yeah. Because it cuts every corner necessary to make a dollar and then pretends it didn't. Yes. And it's been doing that literally since the early 2000s. I remember when it actually you know, abided by its ideals as an undergrad and during honours and it was a radically different place. And anyone who wants to come and disagree with me, bring it on. <laughs> the transformation was immense. So, Well, we've seen them lose so many good people, so yeah. I don't doubt that yeah. at all. But what I would say is what's been great is one of the ironies of becoming Dave the marketing guy mm. is I work with two companies where I love the people I work with. Yeah. They are all moral honourable, caring, empathetic. They do the job not just because it pays, but because of the jobs they could get the pay. This one means they're surrounded by good people and they're doing something that feels worthwhile at the end of the day they can take some pride in. So it's out there in so many different places. But again, I'm working for two niche marketing companies mm. who very much the founders set the tone. That feels like a bit like a unicorn um, I don't think so because I've found two. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, what, that's true. But what it suggests to me is it's not the place. You won't find it by looking. Yeah. yeah the, the, you've got yeah. to get a first credibility project and yes. go, has yes. this place got an okay culture? If it doesn't go, I'm on the way to having enough credibility, I can leverage this to get more credibility somewhere else. And suddenly you discover that the second place has that culture you're after, where the people who work there work there because, one, they actually want to get something meaningful out of work, two, they want to add value by treating people with care, and that simply making those decisions to add some meaning and add some care to the world, they make an environment where everyone sticks around a bit longer. People still don't love going to work. They'd rather be off making art. I don't think... I Certainly my goal has never to been waking up on Monday morning and thinking, yes, I can't wait no. to go to work. Like, I, I'm, I have, I've never had any... Illusion about uh, that Yeah, one. exactly. Yeah, but this is part of, I think, where the dream comes from of working completely independently mm. is when you've seen totally dysfunctional institutions, mm. you start thinking the only way you can counter this is a one-man band, or like we keep talking about where our skills are so complementary. As mm. time goes on, we'll find more ways to offer people all the help they need from the technical side, the writing side, mm. the marketing side, the comm side, all in a one-stop shop of Tim plus Dave solve your problems. Mm. But again, that's going to take time because we're going to both get the level of credibility that people will go, well, we can trust this. I feel like, I, okay, well, look, I, it's motivated me to hustle again because I felt like, you know, it was my time to, to stop. I paid my dues and I can just sort of work for myself now. But like certainly the thing that, that stopped and I, the, certainly the pattern I can identify is that in stopping doing extracurricular things, my network stopped growing and therefore any yep. opportunities that arise naturally stopped appearing. Yep. And I'm not someone who makes opportunities for them as i don't like cold selling no because um, more often than not for the kind of things that we're interested in mm. it's not going to work and at the end of the year we can do an episode about my master's thesis on inbound marketing yeah. which is all about the fact that actually what you can do is help people solve their problems and fulfill their dreams yeah and you can't do either of those things until you've built a meaningful relationship with people yes which means cold calling you can ring and say hey i work on these things if you need anything like it or you're interested, please have a look at my website and then ring me and I can talk to you more. But yeah. that's as far as we can go. We can't push anyone into anything. 
because we need to understand them to help them. Totally. This is it, it, look. It's helpful. I hope it's helpful for other people out there. And I don't. I hope that you know my story. While probably not, you know, everyone's the same, and certainly I'm in it. Whatever, I would say but you got I think there earlier than a lot of people your age. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm late to this no, this party. No, no, no. No, a lot of people have the whole "I'm at uni, what do I do?" because I haven't picked anything for a yeah. cat. Yep. But you've, in a sense, got to the. You've got so many bits of the puzzle in place. Mm. You've got Jade. You've got the house. You've got a lovely family. You've got a brilliant group of friends. So why won't this work thing sort its shit out? <laughs> yeah. It's the one thing that's not aligning. Yeah. But it's also something that takes up a large amount of the waking week. Oh, and yeah, the money it generates allows all those other things to be even more fun because you can do more things with all those nice people. Yeah. So the terrible thing is it's the one that consumes the most money and time. Well, it consumes the most time and generates the money, which means work, even though it shouldn't be privileged over other things, has a more central role because it uses up so many of your waking hours <laughs> and brings the money in. So by its very nature, it has a flow on into your partner, your friendship group, family, mm. other things that matter. It's the one that intersects with all those, you know, different areas and can create problems. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I think that's right. It, yeah, this is interesting. Uh, David recommended that that I, I read this book by um, Rottenberg. I can't remember his first name. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Rottenberg, Jonathan Rottenberg called mm. the Depths. Now, probably about halfway through this. He mentioned something about fe- feeling negative feelings toward neg- like bad, like low moods mm. is actually is actually a cycle. Mm. Uh, it's a terrible compounding effect. Now, the I feel a sense of shame in some sense that I was like I don't know silly, silly enough to even let myself get to this point. What I don't know. Yeah, but this is again Rottenberg doesn't have all the answers. Mm. I've read so much stuff on consciousness later that there there are bits of answers in lots of books. So what I'm about to say doesn't come from any single book but comes out of the last four to five years of stuff on consciousness and depression. I wouldn't expect anything less. (laughs) So really what the feeling of you know a low mood of depression is, is your body and brain and mind giving you a warning. Mm. Something's not right. And of course because we've got a neocortex you know, we've got a thinking cap. We've got the brain that gives us executive control. The brain that lets us know we're thinking about thinking. Mm. The thinking about thinking brain goes, well, what do I do about it? And if thinking brain can't work out, or thinking mind can't work out how to help you or can't even work out what the problem is, yeah, thinking mind's default response is there something wrong with me. Yep. Yeah. And it's why at the end of the day... Some of the stuff in Rottenberg is so important because he's making the point. You know, you've got to see low mood and depression as warnings, but realize you can't think yourself out of the problem. Mm. You know, it's practical things that your body and brain were giving you a warning about. Are your stress levels too high? You're not sleeping well enough. Your anxiety is going up because there's a constant worry. And you've got to work out what that thing is. And it's going to be one of these aspects of life more often than not. It's going to either be, you know, your serious important partnership, family, friends, or work. And being that work is the one that's chewing up the most time and generates the money that makes everything else possible, of course work can generate low mood, you know, if it's not working out right. And it's just a warning signal. 
mm. when it starts. But the more you think about it but can't get out of it, the more you will then blame yourself rather than go, hang on, it was a warning sign. And I don't yeah. know what to do about the warning yet. And not knowing what to do about the warning is very different than it being your fault. I think that's a critical thing people need to understand. Your body and brain are giving you a warning about something that probably, more likely than not, isn't your fault. You have to solve it, but it isn't your fault that it started. You're you're embodied and embedded. You're a mind living in a brain, living in a body, living in a world. (laughs) Yeah. You can do a little bit, but the world will do a lot to you, Mm. which is why you get warning signs going, the world's whacking on us, dude. Like it keeps hitting us with something. Can we please, can we please fix it? Mm. But you've got to work out what you're getting whacked with, and can you even fix it? And I'd say part of the problem today for young people is they were promised so much was possible. They were allowed to have incredibly high expectations. Mm. They were told about how so many things are doable by the generations for whom they were more easily doable. Mm. Who can tell them how to cope with harder times? You know, as we mm. talked about it in an episode that you, you'll edit whenever you find it, where I made the point, I'm sick of books written by alphas about, be more alpha, everything will be fine. <laughs> it's a crock of shit. Yeah. If we could all be more alpha, we'd already be there. Yep. What we need to do is have better tools that work for normal people. Mm. And this is the thing about harder times. The most obvious thing that's going to affect harder times for people now is this bucket called work because it's going to consume their time. It's going to be precarious probably. There's not going to be enough money. They're not going to have time to do all the things that matter. And that combination is going to start the brain into going, warning, 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 you're too stressed. Warning, you're anxious. Warning, you're not sleeping right. Warning, you're starting to eat crap. Warning, you're not going to the gym and keeping us fit. Warning, you're not getting enough vitamin D and sitting in the sun. And it's just going to keep screaming warning. Not knowing what to do to get rid of the warnings isn't really a surprise. Mm. Because when have we had a world with this much technology, this many supposed opportunities, but with this little time and money? Yeah. It's a new conundrum. And, you know, to use the examples of the brilliant entrepreneurs who do 20-hour days and kick ass and become multimillionaires, yeah, they're the odd bods. Look at the 99 who failed. Yeah. Yep. Don't look at the one who succeeded without looking at the 99 who failed. Yeah, that's like a survivorship bias almost, yep. isn't it? Yeah, It is. That person is the outlier. Fantastic. Wish I could be them. What's the odds? One in a hundred. Well, of the 99 who didn't make it, what did they do to try the next thing? Or to work out what their credibility project's going to be? Or to work out, all right, work can't be the centre of everything. Yeah. So how can I scale back on work a bit? And even if I don't have more money, can I find more time for all the other things that will notch the warning down? We're going to have to find new balances for these things because there just isn't more money in the world. The 1% are siphoning it off yeah. too fast. Oh, yeah. Mm. And if they're siphoning the, the money off, all we can do is make decisions and go, all right, if work is getting harder, what can we do to make sure that the other things can counterbalance it better? And we don't have answers yet. And in all the books I've read about consciousness and depression and mental health lately, I've learned so much more and we'll do a whole episode on consciousness Mm. soon. But the big thing I can say is we understand why it's going wrong really well now. And that is because 
we're getting overwhelmed by warning signals that we don't know how to respond to. That's the real issue of our age. Isn't that so funny? And I feel like it's the kind of thing that we've, there are probably answers riddled through our ancient literature. There's lots of answers, but not for our specific. Because as much as everyone says their period is unique, Mm -hmm. no, 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 we have never had technology making the day so long Mm. and everything in the day so fast before. So time is fundamentally different. Our days are longer and we have less time. That is our new reality. Just thinking about how the different cultural answers to, like Mm. drawing it back to lost connections, thinking Mm. about the uh, farmer, where the village bought the farmer a cow after Mm. he had his leg blown off. Yep. And that, you know, helped him. That was an answer that I don't think we think of. No. And I was thinking, you know, maybe there are cross-cultural answers that might help us or things across time, but that might not. There'll be millions of little answers. I think... It, but we've got to put them in this new setting. Yeah. So it's almost like we've got all the we've got all the little tiles to make a mosaic. Mm. And they're all two and a half thousand years from a Roman villa where the roof fell in. Mm. But we're gonna to have to build a new mosaic. Yeah. We can't rebuild the one that was. No, I, I agree. I there was a there was my my intuition was sort of telling me that there are no new problems, but I think actually these are extremely new problems. If you even even if you were to compare them to things, sorry, just to prove the point to myself, even if you were to look at things like you know bioethics or law yep. or whatever, you know these areas that don't know how to cope with all of the new technology that's in front of us, yep. you can't draw on wisdom from far away or long ago yep. to answer those questions. So I, I agree that we're in new territory and I don't think that's a trivial or trite point. I no. think that's I think we're really struggling crux. with it. And people like Nicholas Carr warned about it in his book, The Shallows, in whenever it was, 2014. Mm. And again, in his next book, The Glass Cage or whatever his second book was called. Now, by The Glass Cage... Nicholas Carr just sounded angry saying that actually automation and technology are robbing us of our independence and creativity. Mm. And I can, at the time I read the book, I'm like, why has Nicholas Carr become so angry? (laughs) And again, I don't want to be angry like Nicholas Carr is in the book or sounds in interviews, but I can see why he was angry. Mm. I don't want to be an angry guy like him because actually we've painted ourselves in a new ugly corner. Mm. Now, we're humans. We've got a neocortex. We're surrounded by other smart, likable people. We can get out of most corners, but that doesn't mean it's going to come without bruises and scrapes physically and psychologically. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're yeah. just in for that, I well, think, for a while. Hard work. I think, I think I've also been struggling with the idea that I don't want to, even, even if I could find somewhere that you know, to work that sort of aligns with the value, like family values and sense of even community, I also don't want to be part of the process of siphoning <laughs> siphoning money to the 1%, but I don't actually think that that's... Like, I might actually just have to live with that. <laughs> well, what you might have to um, just accept is what I've told a few people around your age lately, mm. and that is credibility projects aren't necessarily going to be nice, but mm. they are necessary. Yes. that's. I think that's what I mean. Like, yeah. if, if I was... I was struggling with the idea of would I even allow myself psychologi- psychologically to do that? But the point is, it's well, it doesn't it doesn't matter. It's going to be a, a cut or a scrape or a it's going to be a scar yeah. from a time that it was required. Like I, yeah. I don't. Yeah, it's because like a, with less time and less money, you've got to look even more credible to be given an opportunity. Yeah, like giving people opportunities when there was more time and money was easier because like oh, well if it doesn't work there's more time and money. 
Whereas now someone has actually had to really calculate with the limited time and money, is this person worth a risk? To a degree where, okay, people have always done risk calculations, mm. but there was a lot more wiggle room, mm-hmm. even in the, the 90s than there is now yeah. on that risk calculation. So if you want people to take the risk on you, you've got to get the level of credibility that makes it easy for them to say yes. That's one of those things that you know, I've resented for much of my life, that being blind, I have to make myself look far more credible than someone who mm. isn't. Yes. I used to say, well, you'd be thick too. Yeah, where do people get that idea that blind and thick go together? I mean, like in my incredibly small sample sizes, I, I only know smart blind people, so... Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah precisely. Uh, yeah. Well, again, I think probably what I've seen in my life with so many blind people I've met is the frustration of not being able to find their spot mm. where all the pieces of their life are going okay and they've got the credibility of something in the work world that then provides the money to provide the money to do all the other things. You know, so many disabled people end up, I think disabled people might have been the group who were going through this level of constant anxiety. Mm. They're, they're an analogue for what young people are going through now. Why can't I put all the pieces together? Why is it unnecessarily hard when, you know, if I look back to the early 90s when all my friends were kind of finding their first jobs and their, their first everythings most of them bumbled into everything Mm. and it's not they weren't trying but they weren't trying real hard they're only trying a little bit and even in that period i'm going man i wish i could just try a little bit but it just doesn't work (laughs) with a disability you have to work around the world and i think what i kind of see now and you know it was something i was thinking when i wrote you know the millennials have quarter life crisis Mm. why they have an article is all young people now pretty much except for the children of the 1% who are willing to live in the bubble, everyone else is going, why is everything unnecessarily hard? Mm. And why didn't anyone tell me it was going to be? And why haven't I got any tools for it? Mm. Like when I look back to Charles and I creating the original undergrad version of complex problem solving, you know, applied thinking in 2013 for summer school 2014, I think we were beginning to see young people struggling. We didn't know what to call it at the time, Mm. but why did we develop complex problem solving? Other than we wanted young people to realise how capable they were and give them the tools to win. So we didn't even know why we were building it necessarily. Like, we did what the brain does. We came up with ideas. It's called, well, why are these smart kids not overachieving? Let's help them overachieve. Mm. Whereas what it was really about is, actually, they were going into a world that they couldn't be equipped for because no one had experienced the world they were going into. Mm. Which is a big deal. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, I, I feel in in this, um, I guess what I can call the path of grief or loss over sort of what I expected of myself mm. and, and thinking that my life was purely the kind of my responsibility as opposed to embedded in... Yeah, other, embodied and embedded. Yeah. Yep. I feel like this conversation has me one step closer to acceptance that, gosh, I, I hope the last thing that listeners come away from is that I'm some kind of entitled millennial. I'm actually not even a millennial. I'm I'm like one month into being a Gen Z, um, <laughs> depending on your metric. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but it's not about being entitled. Mm. This is why I use the word expectation. Yeah. You were repeatedly told, like everyone else, I've met of your age in Australia, mm. 
you can do almost anything. If you put in some effort and you build a good network, there's no reason you can't achieve whatever you want. Because there was a period where that was pretty much true in Australia, true in parts of Europe, true in the US, as long as you weren't you know, black or Latino. Mm. It's been true in lots of places for lots of different reasons. But it's become less true. But who wants to face the work fact that in a world where we can physically be healthier, where medical care can do more for us, in which we can travel and go places and technology is amazing, who wants to face that with all of that we've actually made life harder? Who wants to face that reality? That's uncomfortable. So that's not having to say, you know, entitled. It's accepting that the world got harder, mm. but we don't yet have a reliable, robust, easy-to-teach toolkit. So everyone at the moment still has to work it out on their own or with their group of friends. That's hard work, and it always has been. Well, I'm very fortunate to have friends like yourself i think in that path and i'm feeling in i guess inspired even to i i guess in some ways admit to the world i'm not even sure it's not really even an admission that from here in i've i'm, I'm going to continue this podcast of course and, and a couple of other projects but Tell you what, I'm a media maker on the lookout for some work. So <laughs> yep, you're a man looking for your credibility project mm. that will make it easier for people to take a risk on you to do really amazing things mm. when the opportunity arises. And actually, you know what? I'm so looking forward to being accountable to other people in the workplace. My Lord, <sighs> uh, I need some collaborative <laughs> exposure, I think. That's the other thing is when you're hustling, there's a tendency to think you have to do things on your own. Mm. And yet in the main, things get better collaboratively. Yeah, They get better when you can bounce off other people. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Look, yeah, uh, I, I hope this has been helpful for other people. And certainly if anyone else has like a some, some kind of story that they want to share, I think we should open up the floor that, to, yeah, to people who like may want to... Send wanted. us an audio clip yeah. if you've got an experience that you want us to reflect on because... Yeah, audience, you'll, you'll get an episode in a little while about I'll probably try and write a book next year. Well, I promise in the episode I will try and write a book next year. Mm. But the book is changing as I learn more and think about the content of the book. But really what the book's coming out to is how do you cope with the new world? That's really what the book is essentially going to end up being about. And I'm not even sure from what angle yet, but yes, th there have been times in history where things changed a lot. That's true. But this is the first time that... Our day is longer but feels shorter. We've got all this technology, but we can't get everything done on time. And where there's all this potential to do things, but how do you get the money to have the time to do them? Like the, the confluence of things at the moment is, I genuinely believe, new. And what Tim's been through lately is a perfect example of the newness of this because you know, even 30 years ago, Tim's combination of skills, it would have been hard to imagine not just pushing on through and getting there fairly quick. Mm. And it's not to say you won't push on through and get there now, but the rules aren't clear anymore. You might have to do a longer chunk of credibility project first, or there might have to be a couple of sideways steps, but there's no rule book that explains them. There's the current book of just push hard and you'll get there. Mm. Well, that, that old book, it might work for the one in a hundred, but what happens to the other 99 people? 
I want to know that at least 90 of the other 99, their mental health is good and their life is good and they've found a way to make peace with work and build their credibility and maybe they've kept their dream or maybe they've adjusted and gone, I'm going to have a passion project and an okay job, but I'm not going to try and combine the two because that's got to be an acceptable alternative too. Yeah, making peace, making peace, I think that's, it's, it must just, it just has to be part of maturity, I think, in the 21st yeah. century now. Yeah. Um, I agree. Mm. Thank you very much, David. Um, I feel enlightened. Yeah. Thanks, Tim, for feeling comfortable enough to talk about it because, you know, it's a conversation I think will be important to lots of other people. I'm trying to go, why is it so hard? all those people out there struggling you're not alone (laughs) thank you listeners and we'll hopefully talk to you soon hello audience thank you for listening to blind insights if you're enjoying the show please remember to subscribe and share your favorite episodes or leave us a review if you really love us we'd love to hear from you Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter at Blind Insights or send us a recorded question to the email in the description to feature on an episode. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the Ozcast Network. Peace out. <laughs>